Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on August 7th, 2016 on the basis of John chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. So here's a recap of their last 24 hours. First, they had left behind their homes and they had booked it by foot out to this remote, deserted location. They had spent the entire day there without really any regard for what they were going to eat or where they were going to sleep. Some of them actually camped out all night, hoping that the following day would bring a repeat performance. And then finally, at the drop of a hat, they hopped onto the fastest mode of transportation that was available to them, probably requiring them to buy some sort of ticket or pay some sort of fare And they did all of that just to see him. No, this wasn't a group of teenage girls hoping to get a glimpse of their favorite pop star. This wasn't a bunch of kids up at Lambeau Field hoping that their favorite packer picks their bicycle to ride from the locker room out to the practice field. No, these people, these crazy fans, you might say, had done all of those things simply to see Jesus. And so when they found him the next day in Capernaum, you'd maybe almost expect Jesus to offer them some praise or give them some applause or maybe just a pat on the back for being such devoted followers of Jesus, but instead he scolds them. He says, the reason you did all those things, the reason you left your homes, the reason you stayed all day, the reason you camped out all night, the reason you hopped into that boat to get back across the lake was not because you know who I am and you know what I came to do, it's simply because you got a free meal and you want more of the same. In other words, Jesus said, you completely missed the sign. You might say that that what Jesus was doing for those people was helping them realize that they had a completely upside-down perspective about this. Maybe you hoped a week would go by where you didn't have to look at this diagram. We've been talking about it for the past couple of weeks. This is Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human need, this pyramid that describes all of the, describes all of the various layers of human need that we have. We've seen how Jesus is able to provide for our, our physiological needs. He fed 20,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. We saw how Jesus could provide for our safety. He demonstrated his power over nature and over all outward circumstances by walking on water. Well, now we get to the point where Jesus wants to address the rest, these higher order human needs that we have. And the very first thing that Jesus wants to do, the very first thing that he did for this crowd of people, and the very first thing he wants to do for us is to help us see that if, if we approach our need from this perspective, we've got it completely upside down. A more accurate, more biblical way to approach the topic of human need would probably be like this. Everything flipped. The first reason why this is a more accurate way to look at it is that when God looks at us, the needs that he considers to be most fundamental and the ones that he wants to meet first are not our earthly needs, not providing things like food and and water and shelter, but our spiritual needs. Our need to be loved and to be accepted by others. Our need to have a certain sense of value 
and worth, our need to have an understanding of what our, our bigger purpose in life is and how we can achieve that purpose. Jesus wanted these people to see that, that they were looking at everything completely upside down. The second reason why this is more accurate is that those spiritual needs that are on the bottom, those are much bigger and much more difficult for us to fill. I mean, it's one thing to fill a hungry stomach. That's pretty easy, right? But a hungry soul? Not so much. In fact, if, if we try and fill those, those very same spiritual needs with, with anything other than what truly fills them, we'll end up still hungry. Jesus' whole point in scolding those followers is to help them realize that only one thing can fill those deeper spiritual needs, and that's, that's God himself. That's Jesus' point when he says you've, you've completely missed the sign. That when he provides for those upper-level needs, when he gives us food, whether that's food for 20,000 people or just the Cheerios that were in the bowl this morning, we're supposed to see it as a sign. We're supposed to see the greater significance that the same one who generously provides for those needs is the only one who can satisfy those deeper needs as well. The temptation for us, the temptation that they fell into, is to get that completely backwards. To actually use the very same things that satisfy our earthly needs to also satisfy our spiritual needs. To fill our bottomless spiritual hunger with things that by, by their very definition are temporary. With things that by their very nature are destined to fail and to fade with what Jesus calls food that spoils. So here's the big question that we need to consider this morning. If someone were to follow us around for even a, a week's time, would they observe in our lives what might be described as crazy fan behavior? The willingness to rearrange our schedules unexpectedly. The willingness to stop whatever we're doing at the drop of a hat. The reason to spend more time on something than what we can actually afford. The willingness to open up our wallets and fork out big bucks in a way that almost appears to be foolish. Would people observe that kind of intensity, that kind of determination, that kind of sacrifice? And if so, for what? Is it fair to say that, that whatever we are doing those kinds of things for are the very things that we are trying to satisfy our spiritual hunger with? And as we think about what we are willing to do those kinds of things for, the question we need to ask is, is that food that spoils? It could be anything, really. It could be an education. It could be popularity. It could be romance, it could be health and beauty, it could be a house or a car, it could be our spouse, it could be our kids. And notice something about everything that I just mentioned. All of those are wonderful blessings from God. It's not as though each and every one of those things isn't good, it's just that each and every one of those things isn't God those things cannot be used to satisfy our bottomless 
spiritual hunger. And it's not just that Jesus, it's not just Jesus who knows that to be true. People out there in the psychological world or sociological world, they'll, they'll confirm the same thing. In fact, it's kind of funny. There's this little lie that we like to tell ourselves. When we try and use food that spoils to satisfy our spiritual hunger and, and it doesn't work and we end up still hungry, the lie we like to tell ourselves is that what we need is just a little bit more. A little bit more money. A little bit better of a job. More friends, a bigger house, a cuter girlfriend, whatever it might be. But do you know who knows that not to be the case? People in our world who who don't just have more, but people who have the most. People who have achieved and acquired all that this world can possibly offer, they will tell you exactly the same thing Jesus does. Since today is the very first football game of the season, we're going to pick on the Wisconsinite that maybe has the most crazy fans out of anyone in the state, quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Back in the month of March, Aaron Rodgers did this interview where he was talking about the moment where he had reached the very pinnacle of his profession, where he had achieved all of the goals that he had dreamed about since he was a little boy. He was standing there on the podium after winning the Super Bowl, accepting the Super Bowl MVP trophy. And even in that moment, as great as he says that it was, deep down there was something telling him that this couldn't possibly be it. That there had to be more to life than this. Do you know who else is going to tell you exactly the same thing? People who want nothing to do with God in their lives. Now their perspective is especially interesting because if you remove God from someone's life, then by definition they are going to have to try and satisfy their spiritual hunger with something other than God. And do you know what they'll tell you? It doesn't work. In fact, probably the person who said it best was the late French philosopher, a man by the name of Jean-Paul Sartre. And he said this, he said that God does not exist, I cannot deny. That's kind of a triple negative. He's basically saying, I am firmly convinced that God does not exist. And then he went on to say that my whole being cries out for God. I cannot forget. Jesus says it. Others confirm it. You cannot use food that spoils to satisfy your bottomless spiritual hunger. If you do, not only are you breaking the first and greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, but ultimately that food that spoils will always leave you hungry. But what about if we try and satisfy that spiritual hunger with God? Will that really work? It kind of sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, the implication of that statement is that someone who is living in complete squalor or who is dying a painful death because of cancer, but who has God, will be more content and more fulfilled than a billionaire with a supermodel wife and a private jet who does not have God. Is God really the one thing that can make the difference? Well, not if you have an incorrect view of God. Not if you have the view of God that comes naturally to us as human beings and that is the basis for every single religion in the world. 
Not if you have the view of God that this crowd did. Jesus said to them, Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And here's their response. What must we do to do the works God requires? So Jesus says, I'm going to give you this better bread, this bread that satisfies your bottomless spiritual hunger. And their response is, okay, tell us what we need to do to earn it. Give us the list of to-dos so that we can start checking them off one by one so that we can have more and more of this bread. And so this sets off a little bit of a back-and-forth dialogue between Jesus and these people. Jesus says that it's not about all the works you need to do. It's not about trusting in your performance. It's about putting your trust in the performance of the one who was sent to take your place. They respond by saying, well, Jesus, if you're going to advance this new teaching, you need to do something to prove your worth and prove your ability. Moses, Moses fed an entire nation full of people for 40 years in the desert with the lesson that we heard about today. What are you going to do, Jesus? Jesus tries to correct their understanding of Old Testament history a little bit. He says, no, God is the one who gave you that bread. Eventually, it all boils down to the very last statement Jesus makes in these verses. It's a statement so shocking that it took a whole lot of explanation and raised a whole lot more questions from these people. Those are the words of Jesus we'll be looking at for the next couple of weeks. It's a statement so shocking that it eventually caused just about everyone, all of these crazy fans, to eventually turn away and no longer follow him. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, it would have made perfect sense if Jesus had said, I have the bread of life. If that which can satisfy our spiritual hunger is something that God has and something God gives, then it makes perfect sense to ask the question, well, what must we do to earn it? In fact, if that's the case, then any system of rules and guidelines, any system of virtues and values would be just as good and just as valid of a way of earning the bread that God wants to give. And in fact, it would be completely arrogant and completely condescending for any religion, say Christianity, to say not only is our way the better way, but our way is the only way. But notice what Jesus said. He didn't say, I have the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. In other words, Jesus didn't come to this world to give us the things that satisfy our bottomless spiritual hunger. Jesus came to this world to be the thing that satisfies our spiritual hunger. Like I said, it raised a lot more questions, took a lot more explanation. We'll be looking at those verses in the next few weeks. But for now, see this beauty in Jesus' words. If Jesus really is the bread of life, then that which satisfies our spiritual hunger is available to us in him in limitless supply. If Jesus really is the bread of life, then we have limitless love and acceptance because we know that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our performance. He sees Jesus' performance. He doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus' perfection. If Jesus really is the bread of life, then we have infinite, limitless value and worth because Jesus was willing to sacrifice his life for ours. That's how much we mean and matter to God. If Jesus really is the bread of life, then we have limitless significance and purpose 
for our lives because we know that our story here on earth is not the entirety of our existence, but an eternity is waiting for us in heaven. By the way, that means that when it comes to Jesus, you really have two options. You can either embrace him as the bread of life or you can dismiss him the way that so many of these crazy fans eventually did. What you can't do is say, yeah, what Jesus said is all fine and good, but so is every other religion in the world. They are completely incompatible, contradictory ideas. In fact, recently I came across something that that kind of put this in an interesting way. It it paired side by side the famous last words of the founders of two of the world's most popular religions. The first are the words of Buddha. On his deathbed with all of his most loyal followers right by his side, Buddha said this, Behold, O monks, this is my last advice to you. All the component things in the world are changeable. They are not lasting. Work hard to gain your own salvation. It's interesting that, again, Buddha admits that food that spoils cannot satisfy our spiritual hunger, but, but what does? Well, work hard to gain your salvation. In contrast, famous last words from Jesus. It's finished. One says, keep working to satisfy your spiritual hunger. The other says, the work is all done. And so what you need to satisfy that spiritual hunger is available in him in absolutely limitless supply. So friends, I can only encourage you in the strongest possible words to act like crazy fans. To be willing at times to rearrange your schedules unexpectedly. To stop what you're doing at the drop of a hat to spend more time doing something than you can probably afford to do, and yes, to open up your wallets and spend the big bucks in a way that almost appears to be foolish, but not in pursuit of food that spoils. In pursuit of Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus says that this food isn't just food that feeds 20,000 people a single meal. It isn't just food that feeds an entire nation for 40 years in the desert. Jesus says, this food can feed the whole world. And whoever eats this food will never be hungry again. And so Jesus' promise to you is that when you order your life in a way that makes that food your number one priority, you will never be disappointed. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.